But we are going to start in the book of Genesis. If you happen to bring a Bible or fire one up on your phone, the, the story begins. We want to put the Christmas story kind of in context. The story begins with... God creating the world and declaring it to be good in Genesis 1. And in Genesis 2, God creates human beings and declares them to be very good. What God does is that He invites these first human beings into relationship with Him. That He wasn't desiring to create puppets or, or, or just pieces of matter that He wasn't interested in. No, He was desiring to create image bearers. That these first human beings and every human being since then were made in some sort, of, um, some sort of way to bear God's image. They were a little bitty aspects of what He Himself was like. And He desired relationship with them. But, but uh, wouldn't you know it? The first humans uh, went from kind of a trusting, intimate relationship with God to something far differently. They went uh, into disobedience, into rebellion. And as the biblical kind of narrative unfolds, there's one particular episode in Genesis 3 that's very, very interesting. That, that the man uh, and the woman stepped out uh, from trust into disobedience and they, they grabbed a hold of some fruit, they took it, they ate it. Very well-known story. And then, and then there's this p- bit of an interesting picture. Verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, if you're new to the Bible... <laughs> There's some questions that are raised, right? So Adam and Eve, really? And a talking snake, really? And they eat fruit, really? I get that. And I want to set those questions aside for the moment. But the thing I want to draw your attention to is this. That one of the very first images we get of what God is like is that God desires some sort of relationship with these creatures that He's made. That, that literally this idea of walking with them in the cool of the day, I don't know how that worked or what that meant. But the, the image that's so important to grasp, though, is that God somehow desired some sort of relationship with these first human beings. The, the desire wasn't just that He'd be up here somewhere and they'd be down here some other place, but that they would dwell together in the same space. And so He, and it's interesting, the first picture you get is of human beings hiding. Right from God, and God seeking them even when they're hiding. So you have this, you have this picture of a God who seeks out humans that are hiding. Interesting. Now, as the story progresses, what God does is he gathers a group of people, a tribe from the line of a man named Abraham. And he gathers this group of people and he tells them, listen, you are going to represent me to the world. Why don't you be for me, my people, I will be your God, and you, your job is to show the world what I am like. And, and God says this kind of amazing thing to them in the middle of a desert over in Exodus, which is the next second book in the Bible. We're just going to go book by book for the next, <laughs> the next service is at six, so we got an hour and a half. All the children said, no. And all the parents said, No. In the book of Exodus, God rescues this people out of slavery. And He says to them, verse 8, Have the Israelites make a sanctuary for Me. And I will what? 
I will dwell among them. Now, now, again, this doesn't sound so big to us, but you got to understand, back in the day, like, the gods didn't dwell among people. I mean, this was totally revolutionary for its time, that, that this creator God, who created everything, desires relationship with people, even after the people rebel in disobedience, that this God desires to dwell among his people. In fact, he says... Make this tabernacle. Tabernacle is a fancy word that just means a kind of a traveling sanctuary. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God gathers a group of people and he says, listen, I want to dwell among you, which was revolutionary enough. God says this in a different way in the book of 1 Kings. When a man named Solomon was commissioned to build a permanent temple in the city of Jerusalem. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 10. Solomon built this temple, and then it says, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, this was a part in the temple, the cloud of God's presence filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. The Lord has said, then Solomon said, excuse me, verse 12, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to what? Okay, now, I realize a bunch of you are new. It is okay to talk back. Uh, it is, as long as you don't throw things, it is just fine. So those aren't rhetorical questions. There was, we were trying to engage a little bit. So, so and, and again, relevance, 10 minutes, let's say. Right? So the story begins, the biblical story begins with a God wanting to desire, the desire to, uh, to have a relationship with his people. He dwells with them on earth in some strange way. Human beings then hide, they go into sin and rebellion. What does God do in response? He gathers a community, and in the midst of that community, what does he say? I want to dwell among you. In a mobile fashion, it was called a tabernacle. It was this traveling kind of tent or sanctuary, but permanently it was called a temple. It was the temple built in Jerusalem. Now, this sets up an announcement that's given in the book of John, one of the accounts of the life of Jesus. In the book of John, chapter 1, if you were here yesterday, we looked at this. In John, chapter 1, John writes this about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and notice that the word, Word, is capitalized. The Word for Word... If you can follow that, it's the word logos in Greek. It was this, it's this kind of epic Greek philosophy concept that had to do with, (laughs) this won't clear it up. The logos was what made the universe intelligible to human minds. It was rationality that was embedded in created matter. So that you could, you could sit somewhere and do a math equation and actually have it work in real life. The Logos was what made the universe intelligible to human minds. So, so in the beginning, this writer says, was this Logos, this Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, there, so he's God, but different in some strange way from God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, jump down to verse 14. Notice this. The Word became flesh... And made his what? Dwelling among us. Now, if you're here and you're a disciple of Jesus, the fact, I mean, when did we lose our astonishment at this story? Like, at, at what point did we have to add all this other stuff? I mean, 
like the most ridiculous statement, I think, well, there are plenty in the Bible, but one of them has to be that this word that was God and was with God, this word took on human flesh. That literally the Christmas story isn't that Jesus showed up and said, hey guys, I got a brand new religion for you. That Jesus said, no, 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 I've got a brand new philosophy I'm going to unveil in the world. No, 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 no. When people say, hey, is Jesus a way to God? Yeah, I guess, but it's bigger than that. According to this, Jesus is God in human form. It's not that God said, hey, here's a new ladder to climb or here's some new rules to follow. No, it's the idea that God himself showed up. That he took on flesh and blood, and as Eugene Peterson says, and moved into the neighborhood. Right? There's a sense in which the, the, the whole Christmas story is about a God who accepts upon himself the limitations of our existence to dwell among us. Now, do you see a picture emerging? Maybe you're going, nope, not at all. The picture emerging should be that God, the story begins with God dwelling among his people. And then the story moves on to a God who wants to dwell among his people. And then, and then the third cha- the third picture is this God who wants to dwell among his people in a temple. And then the fourth chapter is a God who wants to dwell a- among his people as one of them. See, we think that the, the scriptures are the story of our search for God. When it's precisely the opposite that is the case. The scriptures are about God's search for human beings, right? Our universal response to our brokenness is to hide. God's universal response to our brokenness is to seek. And so God shows up. That's the Christmas story. Beyond the, the bread and the ducks and the dogs. Beyond those things, that's the Christmas story. And, and, and this is what separates. I mean, you have to understand, what Jesus came to inaugurate wasn't a new religious system. Because religious systems all have to do with us kind of climbing our way up. This was gospel. This was good news. This was about God coming down. This was about God coming down when he created Adam and Eve. This was about God coming down in a tabernacle with Israel. This was about God coming down in a temple in Jerusalem. And then this was about God coming down in the person of this Jesus. See, we believe the scriptures teach that this Jesus was fully God and fully human, both at the same time. And that if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. I imagine there are a few of us who are pretty skeptical of this whole church thing. And I get it. I totally get it. Believe me. But if the claim is, and the scriptures teach, that this Jesus was God in human form. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. Well, as it turns out, if that's true, God is pretty cool. Because Jesus, Jesus was ridiculously awesome. I mean, we can't do him justice to what this Jesus was like. I mean, can you imagine if I were to tell you God's going to take on human form and then be accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he hung around all the wrong kinds of people? Really, this is what God's like? I mean, it's interesting to me that when Jesus walked the earth, it was the sinful people that loved him and the religious people who were skeptical of him. And is it interesting that 2,000 years later that's reversed? Right? The religious people claim Jesus the... the the broken, sinful people are the ones that flee. But it wasn't like that originally. And, and Jesus had to defend himself all the time because he hung out with the scummy people. And so he did say things like, well, let me tell you about what God's like. God is like a shepherd who had 100 sheep, and he loses one, and guess what the shepherd does? 
He goes in search of that lost sheep, and then when he finds it, he throws a party. That's what God's like. Who among us actually believes that God is that, actually that good? I mean, how many of you who have been told that you somehow have to get cleaned up first, you have to get religion first, you have to, you have to get all churchified first before you can approach this Jesus? See, that's not, just not how it works with Him. He pursues us. That's what I'm talking about. I'll take it. I will take it. Now, could we agree it's warm? <laughs> See, and, 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 and I know, I, I know you, you were hoping for just like a little eggnog and a little Christmas cheer. And I'm sorry. I, I, gotta, I hate to ruin the thing. But, but there's so much bad press about Jesus of Nazareth often because of the church, that I I just want to take every opportunity to remind people how awesome he is. Because he he really, I mean, it's, it's astonishing that nobody is singing songs to Caesar Augustus today, who was way more famous during the time of Jesus than Jesus was. No one's singing songs to King Herod today. Right, But we gather because there are some of us either deluded or full of faith enough to believe that a baby in a manger makes all the difference in the world. That somehow, in some way, the Word becoming flesh changed everything. And then if you want to know what God's like, you look at this Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, it turns out He's amazing. That He, he wasn't just a nice, packaged Mr. Rogers offering good advice for a nice, happy life. You don't crucify Mr. Rogers. Can we agree? Nobody puts Mr. Rogers to death. Some of the kids are going, who is Mr. Rogers? He's way better than SpongeBob. Let me tell you that, kids. Yeah, yeah. Some of the parents are clapping for that. Now, so what you have in the Bible is you have a story of a God who keeps wanting to get closer. Build me a tabernacle. Build me a temple. Now this God like dwells among us as one of us. Then a little later in the the book of John, Jesus says this crazy, crazy thing. He looks at his followers and he says, okay, I've got good news and bad news. Bad news, I'm going to be crucified, put to death. I'll rise from the dead, but then I'll have to go. I'll send uh, to the right hand of the Father in the heavens. The good news... Jesus said, is that I'm going to send some help to you. In John 14, he says this amazing, amazing promise. Verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate, someone just like me, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Christians call the Spirit the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will what? Be what? Oh, okay, so let me get this straight. So the story begins with God walking among his people, then human rebellion and sin enters the world. So what does God do in response? He forms a people and he says, I'm going to dwell among you, build me a tabernacle. Then I'm going to dwell among you, build me a temple. And then I'm going to dwell among you. I will take on human flesh until... This Jesus ascends to heaven and says, here's my promise. I'm sending my spirit who will dwell in you. 
See, the story isn't a story about human beings questing for God. It's just the reverse. It's a story of God's search for human beings. Our universal response to our brokenness is to hide. God's universal response to our brokenness is to seek. And so the scriptures turn out to be this record of God seeking and getting closer and closer. I want to show you how the story ends. Go to the big scary book of Revelation. Uh, Chapter 21. If you hit the table of weights and measures, you have gone too far. (laughs) Unless you're interested in how long a cubit is. 18 inches. Revelation 21. This writer talks about how the story ends. He writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. This is a reference earlier to the book of uh, Revelation. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will what? Dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be them with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, and these are my favorite words in the entire Bible, I am making everything new. So let me get this straight. The story begins with God dwelling among His people in a garden. The story ends with God dwelling among His people in a city. The story begins with God dwelling among people on earth. The story ends with God dwelling among people on a renewed earth. The story isn't just about us going up. The story really is about God coming down. That was a massive sneeze. (laughs) Bless you. See, for me, this this totally revolutionizes the way I think about the Christmas story. See, the Christmas story isn't just about a little baby, a precious moment figurine, and about how cute and adorable, and here are some animals. I mean, okay, there were animals, and I'm sure the baby was cute after you wiped the kid off. But there was a... There's a sense that this story just didn't drop out of out of thin air, that this was something that God, like every step along the way, God was moving closer and closer and closer and closer to people. And that there is a sense over and over and over that the the story of this book isn't of our trying to work our way up. And I'm so sorry that we get in the way of this sometimes, you guys. I'm so sorry that there are times we make it feel like you've got to get cleaned up and you've got to have everything figured out and you've got to have all your addictions taken care of before you can show up in a place like this. That just isn't true. That just wasn't how Jesus did it. He, if you were somebody who thought they'd fallen too far, Jesus would come after you if you lived in the first century. I mean, he loved the religious people too, but they had a harder time with him than anybody else did. And so part of what we do on a night like tonight is just announce that there's good news. There's very good news. That God has not given up on human history and that what happened a couple of Fridays ago That's not the last word. I mean, I don't know about you. It just seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse. Every time I think, well, that's about as evil as human beings can get, we find new and creative ways to outdo ourselves. Would you agree? 
And it really does literally feel like sometimes it's out of control. See, the Christmas story is really about God's reassurance that all of the pain, the disability, the depression, the abuse, all of the evil and the suffering of this world is temporary. It's not always going to be this way. The story begins with God dwelling among His people and the story ends with God wiping every tear from their faces. And so part of the good news tonight is whatever it is you're dealing with, it's not forever. Though it feels that way sometimes. I get that. But this Jesus was put forward as somebody who would take upon himself every bit of human anger and brokenness and evil in a totally unjustified manner taken upon this Jesus who simply said while he was on his cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. See, we believe that love absorbed all of that junk and that it is in the process of taking it out of circulation and that we believe that there is a time coming in human history where God will make everything new. And so this Jesus was put forward not as the unveiler of a new religion or philosophy, but as God's definitive answer to human suffering. That God would defeat suffering by suffering himself. That God would defeat death by dying himself. No one... And that God would redeem humanity by becoming one of them. No one would have saw this coming. And so we believe it answers all the big questions. And so tonight, I mean, I don't know a great way to do this, but I just want to invite, if, you, if you've never said yes to this Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. I wish there was like some really cool petition you could sign or some sort of Facebook status, you know, that you could pump out there, but... I mean, all I, the best analogy I've ever heard coming in relationship with this Jesus is that of marriage, right? I got married when I was 29, and I know you're shocked and thinking, how did you make it so far, so long, without being married prior to that? I married the first one that said yes, brothers and sisters. That's just how, how, how that works. And married people, you, you, get, you get to the, the ceremony... And they look at you and, and they say, well, do you take so-and-so to be your wife or husband? And what do you say in response? I do. Are those easy words to say? I mean, yeah, I mean, they're not, it's not like, they're not multi-syllabic. I mean, they're just, well, yeah, I, mean, I do. Right? I mean, they're just, yeah, I do. But do they change everything? Yeah. Is the I do of marriage the ending of a journey or the beginning of another one? It's really kind of both. I mean, when I got married, I had to say no to my single way of thinking and living, right? I had to start asking permission to go do stuff. I had to put toilet paper back on the roll. Whereas before, it was fine if it was just within hand-reaching distance. (laughs) More than you want to know, I get it. But see, there was a moment... When I said I do to my wife, and that moment was a break with what had come before and the inauguration of something new. That is what this Jesus represents. The forgiveness and the cleansing from all that's gone on and all that you'll do. But bigger than that, the God who wants to dwell in and with you. So there's an old self that gets put off, and a new self that gets born. 
That's what this Jesus has come to do. So we want to give you the opportunity to say, I do to him. No pressure, no emotional pleas, no 40 minutes of just as I am. No, we're not going to hit you up for money. But it'd be hypocritical of us to talk about it and not give you the opportunity to respond. So, would you close your eyes? Because we know God does his best work with our eyes closed. That, I'm kidding. That's a joke. And uh, if you've never said yes to this Jesus, uh, and if you've never said I do, I just want to give you the opportunity to do that. Not to become religious, not to, not to do anything other than to recognize that this gift was given for you. And that, as with any gift, it has to be received by you. And Jesus doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't, he doesn't manipulate us. He just uses everything in life. Our successes, our failures, our brokenness. He'll use everything just to remind us that he's there and that he loves us. And for some of you, I'm absolutely convinced that you felt God pursuing you throughout the course of your life. Maybe now you have a bit more of context about why that is. And so if you want to say yes to this Jesus, I just invite you to pray. As easy and as I do as you can imagine. But I just invite you to pray in the quietness of your own heart or out loud or whatever. And there's nothing magic about the words I'm going to say. But I invite you to pray. Jesus, I receive you. And I invite you to forgive me to cleanse me, to restore me, to come and find me. And I stop running and I say, I do. And I ask that you would, I, I ask that you would take my sin and my brokenness and you would wipe it away. And I want to give you my agenda for my life and accept yours for my life. And I pray that you would come in and dwell in me. Now, if, if you prayed that for the first time, I just, I want to invite you, to keep your eyes closed if you would. God's still working. <laughs> I want to invite you to raise your hand. And, and again, nothing crazy about the raising hand other than we just want to pray for you. So if you prayed that for the first time, raise your hand and would you hold it up for just a second? No one's counting, but we just want to see if there's some folks we could pray for. If you prayed that for the first time. Thank you for holding it up. Now, thank you. Wonderful. Now, we take God at His word that any heart that is open to him, he will come, rescue, and fill up. And so I just want to pray for you for just a moment. Lord, would you help us? Would you keep us from celebrating too little for, for what you are doing? Not just 2,000 years ago, although that is amazing to us, but for what you're doing right here in our midst. And God, my prayer for my brothers and sisters is that you would reveal yourself as so much better than they could possibly imagine. And Lord, that that would pull out of us the recognition that, that so much of the darkness and struggle and evil of this world, that is temporary. 
There's this new thing you're doing. And for those who've said yes to you tonight, Lord, would you draw near to them in such an exceptionally powerful way that they would be unmistakable that they are yours and that you would give them courage to follow wherever you would call them. And so, Lord, we now worship because you are good. And everyone said, Amen.